Welcome to part two of this episode from the DLA Piper Tech Law podcast series. I'm Tom Halen, an M&A-based uh, corporate partner at DLA Piper. And I'm joined today by Duncan Down, Transaction Services Partner at Deloitte, and Will McDonald, uh, Chief Strategy Officer and Founder at Starleaf. Today, we're going to be discussing our European Tech Index 2020. And, and that index looks at the perception across 350 uh, various sized businesses from 10 million up to 1.5 billion in Europe and looks at the perceptions and changes in, in the startup market. Um, so but before I start and before we get down to the detail, could I please ask Duncan and Will uh, to introduce themselves? Over to you first, Duncan. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me on. So I'm Duncan Down. I'm a, as you said, I'm a transaction services partner with Deloitte. So my day job is uh, is carrying out due diligence for companies and their investors on acquisitions, disposals and refinancings. Um, one of my side jobs is I'm the uh, lead partner for our Tech Fast 50 program, which for the last 23 years has, uh, has been all about identifying and celebrating the, the fastest growing tech businesses in the UK. That's then replicated across Europe in our EMEA 500 programme. Thank you very much, Seth Duncan. Will? Yes, Tom, thank you. Will McDonald, uh, I'm the Chief Strategy Officer at Starleaf. Uh, I'm one of the founders of Starleaf, and Starleaf is a cloud-based video conferencing service. And what's interesting is my previous startup that I was involved with was Codian, and uh, Codian was an infrastructure-based video conferencing service. So it's quite fun to go from the old world where we were a decade ago to the new world, which is, which is cloud-based. So, so Duncan, are, are you seeing a lot of fintech businesses uh, in London? Perhaps you could comment on the fintech tar- startup scene in London. Yeah, so it, you know, it, it, is, it is strong, continues to be strong. Um, we... We have been, if you like, over-indexed on fintech in the in the fast fifty the last few years. Um, that's not going to change anytime soon. Um, yeah, we we will have a lot of uh, a lot of fintech feature in the fast fifty this year, um, and that's a you know that that's a great thing. L- London is very good at at fintech. Now, I would hate hate to bring up the the topic of Brexit, but you know, in two years' time in a post-Brexit world, I would hope. And think that um, London will continue to dominate in that sector. Yeah, there's there's a lot of fintech talent in London, and and luckily that that hasn't moved um, uh, for the time being. That is, so I, I think for as long as, as that stays here, then it, it's hard it's hard to move fintech because at the end of the day they, they they rely on people. There's people behind all of these business. Now, now one of the other areas that that people talk very strongly about and very passionately about was uh, environment and sustainability. Uh, and 61% of the respondents came back and said that they thought that the tech industry as a whole should be investing more in, in, in sustainability in particular. So, Will, perhaps you can make a few comments about that. Yes. Um, in our business, you know, what our focus is, is being able to provide the products and services to allow companies to you know, reduce their travel costs. I mean, it was already a big focus of ours before COVID about you know, allowing our customers to reduce their, their footprint. And, and that has really been our focus rather than 
Well, I say that, but we've always used our own product. We've always had a large proportion of people work from home, trying to reduce our, our own footprint, but really our focus is on, on our customers. And, and, and certainly that, that's been one of the things that has come out of COVID. People who have spent time at home, they've appreciated uh, breathing cleaner air, being able to cycle on streets with less cars. Um, and and, and then, saving, saving two hours a day from commuting that they can spend working. So it's actually in the benefit of the companies as well. Duncan, presumably, are, are we seeing any, um, any environmental businesses, sustainability businesses coming into the, uh, the past 50? Or are we seeing a change in the way uh, or environmental things are driving the past 50 at all? Or is it early days? I don't think we're seeing environmental businesses come in and feature in the fast 50. I think uh, ESG is is increasingly on the minds of, of the fast 50. Um, and across the tech sector more broadly, I think, um, you know, the, the largest global tech businesses have come out with, um, most of them with statements around reaching carbon neutrality by 2030. Uh, I know one has gone a step further and said they're basically going to um, negate all uh, carbon production since their uh, since they started by um, by 2030, which is bold. And 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 everyone's following suit. You know, we we want to reach carbon neutrality by 2030. It's a um, you know it's it's an essential now. It's not just an essential for um, your customers, but also your staff want to want to buy into it and believe it. You know, people. People want to um, people want to save the planet. You know, it's a, yeah. it's an increasing problem and it's an urgent problem. When you look through the food chain, actually, um, you know, investors now mandate this as well. So at the smaller end, you know, whilst you've got the the, the global businesses who are saying ESG is now front and centre, investors are saying it as well. So pension schemes are saying that ESG has to be um, uh, has to be up to a certain level. And that then features into private equity houses, into venture capital investors, and therefore into their portfolios. So you kind of can't hide from it. Yeah. I, I mean, do, do you think, I mean, for, for example, there, there are some things tech is doing with sort of huge amounts of data storage, huge server farms, et cetera, that, that are doing things that aren't necessarily of, of use, that's using huge amounts of, of electricity, do you think there's going to be an increasing focus on on that type of thing? Well, are you seeing that in any of the server farms you go and see about locate where they're located, etc., energy they're using? What well, what we're seeing is uh, certainly in that, in the data centres we use is they do have a huge focus on energy. They've got we've got monitoring tools, uh, and we're doing things like you know because because our, because we have servers all the way around the globe. What you see happening is Europe's busy during the day in Europe, and then that slows down and the US picks up. So, you know, our software detects all that and shuts the servers down overnight uh, to save the electricity, but saves the bill as well. It's, you yeah. know, it makes economic sense for us, but it's also for environmental. And it goes back to what Duncan was saying, uh, our employees really care about this. So there's not much financial incentive for the company, but the moral incentive internally is huge. So, yeah, we are seeing the data centers really caring about the, the, the consumption of their, of their customers. And, and do your customers come and ask you about it, interestingly? Or is it, is it where's the pressure coming? Is it employees or customers? 
It is employees at the moment. We, yeah. I, I think our customers see our service, you know, as having the biggest impact on their business. And what our usage is would be a, a, a secondary effect. But I have no doubt it's coming. I have no doubt at all. Because these businesses are going to want, okay, so they're going to deploy a remote working solution to reduce travel. But then which one are they going to select? I mean, if they really are uh, conscious about their footprint, they're going to select the provider that has the lowest footprint. So, so talking about a little bit about employees and the power of employees, one of the things that gives them power is is there's a war for talent out there and there's skills gaps and there's especially skills gaps in technology. Are you seeing that well? Is, I mean, it's one of the issues that came out of the, the index again, the, the need for, for talented individuals. Is, are there shortages out there? Um, there, there there's, it's always difficult. Uh, to find tons of people. You know, the sad thing about, about the UK, when I did, did my first business back in the 90s, um, late 80s, finding good talent was easy because there was no good engineering companies in the UK. We had to compete with the, with the fintech market. You know, good engineers either went into the city or there weren't many quality tech firms to work for. And now, of course, that's completely different. There's, they've got so much choice in who they can go work for. So, you know, really competing well for employees, a lot of that is about the quality of the workplace and, you know, and the, the values of the company there. So, yeah, I think it's really important. So, Duncan, are you seeing that, that skill shortage impact at all on, on the startups that, that you're seeing in the, the Fast 50? Is, is that something that they talk about a lot? So I'd, I'd, I'd echo what we all said that um, getting getting talent can be can be hard because it's competitive. I think the more pressing point will be keeping talent in this environment and this world because traditionally we used to recruit a bunch of people in September and we used to integrate them into our business and they used to learn on the tools. And then three years later, they'd hopefully stay once they'd qualified and they'd you know, build a career with us. That just, that's so different now. You know, how do we stand out from the next firm of accountants or the next whatever we do when, you know, all they can see is me on the other end of the screen or there's some sort of virtual onboarding and they sit there and say, well, I'm going to be doing this in my home or um, some you know, remote location for the next three years. I think that that's the pressing concern is, and, and, and we've only seen the edges of that really, because the last six months have been all about firefighting. It's been, it's all right, because the offices will open and we'll get back to normal and it will happen soon. It'll happen next month or the month after. And it's, you know, it's going to be a lot slower than that. And I think a lot of businesses now are going to be saying, well, let's talk about footprint and office space and what we're going to do because this is quite good having people work from home you know it helps us as we we're talking about it helps us with our carbon neutrality and it helps us with our dead time around traveling so why don't we encourage a bit more of this and i think that there's going to there's, there's that conflict isn't, isn't there if people naturally want to be together and work together but it's much more efficient and much cheaper if they're not and they're working from home. Yeah, I, I, but I, I go back with Will. We're still going to have to attract the talent because we want the talent. And yeah. and frankly, 
Yeah. When I was my 20 year old self, I wouldn't have gone to work for a business where I was expected to sit at home. I wanted to go in and meet people. And, and I suspect that's that hasn't changed. So if you, I think the talent, the people tend to drive most things. Like, like Will, Will was saying, I think they're pushing on the sustainability thing. And, and, and I think they will still push for proximity. So, uh, yeah, I'm not going to completely agree with Duncan at all. I, I agree with him in that retaining talent is really important. But you know, we hired over 30 people during uh, during Q2, during the, the peak of the, the pandemic, and none of them ever came into the office. And I mean, they're coming in now, but you know, we got it done. And you know, I think that's probably because our remote working tool is so good. I'm sure that's the reason. <laughs> that's you know that probably is the case. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm absolutely certain of it. And 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 I'm I'm increasingly seeing that will. So now it's you know it's gone long and gone on long enough that I'm talking to CFOs who have never met their teams in person, and they've joined a business, they've been hired, they've been in a business for three to six months, and they can sit there at home and say, yeah, I've never met anyone face to face. Remarkable. One of the sections that we also picked up on the technology index was AI. And we both looked at both the benefits of AI and the drawbacks. Now, the drawbacks were probably quite predictable. They were all around the cost and your return on investment. So people are seeing that no different to, to any other investment they got to make. But actually, looking at the, the benefits, they, they picked out efficiency, flexibility, and speed of delivery. Will, are you seeing AI have that, that impact on your business? Well, not so much on our business, Tom, but we're seeing it in our products. Uh, and there's been a lot of talk about AI and, and how it's going to make us more efficient. And uh, it's just allowed us to do some stuff that, that we couldn't do before. So, and it's become, in this COVID era, we'll all know what they are. One of them is these virtual backgrounds that you get on your video oh. calls. That's an AI application. Uh, make no doubt about it. And you'll notice if, if you've got a slower computer, you won't be able to do it because of the processing that's required. Uh, and noise reduction, get rid of the keyboard clicks or any background noise, uh, being able to pick out the human voice. Sounds easy because humans can do it really well, but to do it on the computer is even harder than the video. And then there's some older ones that have been around a while, like doing transcriptions of the meetings so people can search it. Um, things like that. The, the, one, the one I don't like is the one where you're meant to be able to use voice commands to start your meetings. I, 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 I struggle with voice commands. I never know the right, if you don't use the right word, it doesn't work. Well, so I, I think that one's natural language, I think is still quite a ways away, but, yeah. but we love it. We're utilizing it. And, and and you're starting to see it creep into into a lot of areas of our life. But are we seeing it creep into the the, the fast fifty, Duncan? I think to some extent. I think we're still sort of um, we, we we're early days on AI. I think, um, and it's it, it. I think, as Will said, its applications are pretty varied. On the one hand, you've got some uh, dare I say relatively old-fashioned businesses trying to deploy AI to to streamline, streamline their processes and their kind of engagement with customers. Um, and that's where they're grappling with, they don't have the capability and therefore they're trying to build that and the know-how alongside trying to work out how to, how to actually use it effectively in their slightly old fashioned business. At the other end of the spectrum, you've probably got um, 
businesses in, say, the, the ad tech space where AI is pretty embedded there. And actually, when you are um, when you're trying to win a customer, you um, you know you you really have to understand what's going to make them tick and what's going to convert them to whatever you're trying to sell them. And I think AI is um, uh, is sort of coming to the fore there. Fascinating. We will leave it there for today. I, it just leaves me to thank you both, Will and Duncan, for being a fantastic guest and for your insight and the perception you have brought to the issues we've discussed today. Thank you very much indeed. It's been a pleasure, Tom. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Will.